This message is entitled, The Dangerous Pitfall of Isolation. A lot of people get isolated even when they're around people. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. It is imperative that we do not allow ourselves to become isolated. This is, there's a lot of information in this message, but I'm going to condense it down to, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to diagnose the problem. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to show you some biblical examples. And then I got three steps. I'm going to prescribe the cure to isolation. We're going to undemonize the word command or commandment. I mean, you know, in a lot of grace circles, you say the word command or commandment or obedience. It's a demonic thing almost because, uh, you know, we're not under the law, right? We're not under the law, but uh, we're not under the law for righteousness. Romans chapter 3 verse 31 says, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. You know, we're not made right by what we do for God, but what he did for us. But out of what he did for us, that should change our behavior and our lifestyle. Amen. So this is called the dangerous pitfall of isolation. Everybody say that. Say the dangerous pitfall of isolation. Go to your outline and look at the top. We're going to define isolation. What is isolation? You know, we need times of solitude. You do know that. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says, Jesus got up a great while before day and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. In other words, we need time, alone time with God. But that's not what isolation is. Isolation is the condition of, of the heart that pulls away from the body of Christ. The weirdest people on the planet are people who isolate from the rest of the, from other people. They get weird. Amen? The devil does his greatest work in isolation. Did you know that? Just ask the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. We'll look at that. But let's define isolation. Look at your outline. Isolation is the state of being in a place that is separate from others. Isolation is to place in a detached situation. Isolation, this is from the Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary, this last definition, and I love it. It means standing detached from others of like kind. Oh, my, my. Standing detached from others of like kind. One of the things we're trying to do with Army, the Ministers Association, is help ministers to not be detached. We need each other. I need you. You need me. I'm not talking about in an unhealthy, codependent way, but we are called to be interdependent. Let me show you a verse. I can feel it. I'm looking at my notes. Here's what I say. Calm, slow, slow calm. Those are for me, okay? They're not in your outline. Okay, all right. But look at 1 John 1, 7. We'll be back here. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. If you can't get it up, I'll quote it, all right? It says, but if we walk in the light... Everybody say, that's talking about my walk. This is written to believers. First John's written to believers, not unbelievers. That includes the first chapter. I'm saying that because there's a teaching that says First John chapter 1 was written to unbelievers. It's written to believers. If, that's, if it was not, then John's not a believer because he includes himself there. But I believe he was, obviously. But if we walk in the light, everybody say, that's my walk. As he is in the light. What does that walk look like? We have fellowship. 
one with another. No matter how great your revelation is, I tell people this, is your knowledge growing you up or puffing you up? You know how to tell the difference? Is the knowledge I'm gaining causing me to interact with the body and be a blessing to the body? Or is the knowledge I'm gaining calling me to with, causing me to withdraw from the body because nobody else is as deep as I think I am? Isn't that amazing? But if I walk in the light as he is in the light, I have koinonia, fellowship one with another, intimate fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's not talking about your position, it's talking about your walk. And cleanses this present tense verb, it means it's continuously happening. So we're talking about isolation and the danger of isolation. Go to Genesis 2.18, it's in your outline. Isolation is standing detached from others of like kind. When you're born again, you become a member of the body of Christ. You become regenerated, a new creation. People talk about, well, they're born that way. I agree. We're all born into sin. You ever heard of regeneration? <laughs> Moving right along. And the Lord God said, now I want you to notice something here. This is before the fall. This is in a perfect world. Are you getting this? And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone or isolated. I will make him and help me or fit for him. This is before the fall. God said isolation is not good. This is not saying everyone's called to marry, but we're all called to be interdependent one on, with another. We're all called to walk in the light and have fellowship one with another. Amen. All right. So this was before the fall. I find that fascinating. Go to Proverbs eleven fourteen. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now watch this. Safety from what? The danger of isolated ideas. I need to be able to run what I think God's telling me past other mature, like-minded believers. I'm not talking about everybody, because everybody can have an opinion. I get that. But we need to bring things that we believe God has shown us to other people that are mature, that love the Lord, that love us, that are mature. We need to do that because it will protect me from the safety of isolated ideas. Nobody's an island. Nobody's an island. An old-timer said this, the genius of Christianity is that we do it together. That's an amazing statement. We need each other. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. I know you're ugly, but I... No, don't say that. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. That's that Greg Moore anointing that gets on me, and I have to fight it, all right? So cut me slack, cut me slack all right? Oh, man, where does that come from? All right, so we're talking about isolation. Go to, I want to give you some biblical examples. We're still diagnosing the problem. Look at Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. I mentioned this earlier, the demoniac. Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. Next verse. Verse 2. And when they were come out of the ship, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now think about this. This guy was isolated. Next verse. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Next verse. 
because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Look at the next verse. And always, somebody say always. always. Night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Do you know a person who's isolated ends up hurting themselves? It may not be physically cutting themselves, but we hurt ourselves when we don't allow ourselves to be connected to the body of Christ. We need each other in a healthy, co- not a codependent way, but an interdependent way. And when you become independent, I don't care how great your revelation is, I'm telling you, you're headed for a mess. Go to Jude. Hey, Jude. Verse 19. There's only one chapter in Jude. Those are flashbacks. Just bear with me. I have them every now and then. So them songs, you just ignore them. All right. These be they who separate themselves. From what? Not necessarily from each other. They can be in groups, but they're separated from a walk of the Spirit. They are isolated on the inside. Sensual. The word sensual means animal-like, having not the Spirit. Look at the next verse. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Next verse. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I could do a whole thing here. Verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. One translation says, Stay always in the boundaries where the love of God can reach and bless you. And that is not separating yourself from a walk of the Spirit. And then when, you, when you're walking in the Spirit, what that looks like is you're going to fellowship one with another. You're going to be around people. I like to say it like this that aren't as perfect as you think you are. That's a hard one on me. <laughs> I'm joking. Jen keeps me humble, right? <laughs> All right. All right. Let's go to... Um, that's one example. The demoniac was hurting himself. Look, look at this one. John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. Matthew 3, verse 7. John the Baptist makes some bold proclamations. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, this is amazing. This was not timidity at all. This was a bold proclamation. How would you like me to stand up at some political convention and say, You generation of snakes, vipers. That's not love, brother. No, but it's true. <laughs> I'm speaking the truth in love. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Next verse. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat, or fit for repentance. Next verse. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Next verse. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Every, therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. One more verse. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now watch this. John makes these bold proclamations. In John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John gave his life for the cause of Christ. But now go to Matthew 11, verse 2. Matthew 11, verse 2. Now, when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Next verse. 
and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now think about this. John had made all these bold proclamations, but when he's in prison, what is he? He's isolated, and he begins to doubt. You see that? He began to doubt what he gave his life for. What's your point, Chris? We need each other. We need each other. And there's a real, this whole pandemic thing that took place, and I was intentional. This thing that took place, the goal is to isolate the body of Christ. And you know what? Let me, let me tell you this. I thank God for Zoom meetings. I thank God for all those things. But there is no substitute for getting together one-on-one. There's no substitute for the human touch. There's no substitute for a hug. And the devil hates that. When the brethren dwell together in unity, that's where the anointing oil flows, flows Psalm 133 says. All right. Now, so these are some examples. I'm gonna get, I'll just tell you this one. My wife talks a lot about there was a guy who uh, saved Israel in Judges chapter 11. His name was Jephthah. And Jephthah said, Lord, if you will help me beat the Ammonites, I, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'll sacrifice to you. Now, human sacrifice was not a part of the law. But I think of Jephthah, and I think, what if he would have been around people, and he would have ran that by them, godly people, and they would have said, this ain't God. Human sacrifice is not in the law of Moses. But he ends up sacrificing his daughter, making a foolish vow, because he was isolated. I believe that. I believe when you, when you become an island, you're in a dangerous spot. All right. So we talked about the danger of isolation. I gave you a few, few examples. Now, I want to give you a positive example of not being isolated. Go to Exodus 18. I'm not going to go to all these scriptures, but I just want to show you this. I'll tell you what, for the sake of time, I will just tell it to you. In Exodus chapter 18, Moses and Moses' father-in-law was Jethro. Now, this was way before he got his acting job with the Beverly Hillbillies. And Jethro was Moses' father-in-law, and Moses was judging the people. In other words, he was doing all this stuff by himself. He was, doing, he was, he was handling all of, judging all the cases by himself. And Jethro says, this is not a good thing. You need to appoint people to be rulers of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. And then you take some of the load off yourself. To Moses' credit, he listened, and it protected him from burnout. See, when you, don't, when you just do things independently, and even what God's showing you, God is, we work together. Amen? We're not isolated. And so that protected Moses. So we've talked about the danger of isolation, what it is. Now I'm going to prescribe the cure. This is going to be the bulk of the message. Each one of these points could be a whole message. I'm going to condense it down, okay? Look at, look at the number one there. This is the prescription or the cure for isolation. Under number one, it says the command to, and there's a blank, connect. Everybody say connect. The command to connect with the brethren and thus combat or avoid isolation. The command to connect. First, let me take the demonization out of the word command. Ever look at your neighbor and say the word command is a good word. Just because it's been abused, we don't throw it out. All right? Go to 1 John 5. We got to un- Isn't it amazing you've got to spend so much time saying what you're not saying before you actually get to what you're saying? <laughs> but you have to do this because there's some meatheads in the name of grace 
that are perverting the gospel. That's why I love Pastor Greg's message. He was talking about the manifold grace of God and how what grace does in your life and how grace people ought to be gracious people. Wow, what a concept. But so many people, best, I'm under grace. Don't put the law on me. They pull the law card. Don't law me. <laughs> Anyhow, by this we know that we love the children of God. This is so amazing. When we love God and keep his commandments. Oh, my word. Next verse. For this is the love of God that we keep, that we guard, that we protect his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous, burdensome, or heavy. Why not? The word commandments is a Greek word. It's in your outline, E-N-T-O-L-E. And it, and it means precept, it means statute, all those things. But I got a definition here that's so good. It means that which is prescribed to one because of the reason of his or her office. A commandment is something that God gives you because of who you are. We're commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the love of God's been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. So he's already given me the ability to do it. He's just saying, now release it. Are you seeing that? That's the command. In the New Testament, I've heard people teach us and they say, well, the commandments, and they go back to the Mosaic law and the 613 commandments. That's not what God's saying. Let me show it to you. Are you ready? This is all, I have to do this, but you have to see it. 1 John 3, verse 18. There's one twofold commandment in the New Testament. There's, I'll show it to you. You'll see it. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in deed, but neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Next verse. And hereby, or here's how we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Next verse. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Next verse. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. Next verse. There's so much in each of these verses. But watch this. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because... We keep his commandments, plural. Everybody say plural. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Faith pleases God, right? Hebrews eleven six. Next verse. And this is his commandment, singular. Wait a minute. He just got done saying commandments, plural. Now he's saying commandments, singular. There's one twofold commandment in the New Testament. I'm going to show it to you. And this is his commandment, singular, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. There's two of them there, but it's one twofold commandment. You see it? You see it? Now watch it. Next verse. And, and he that keepeth his commandments, now he's back to plural. <laughs> Dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby, or here's how <clears throat> we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which, is, which he has given us. So the, in the New Testament, there's one twofold commandment. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe on God through the work of Christ, and then release that. Love that he's deposited in our hearts on the brothers and sisters. One twofold commandment. <clears throat> now, I've had the question for years, why does God command us to love our brothers and sisters? Well, because it looks good, Chris. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess it does. But that's not the reason. You know, God has a specific reason for why we're commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you know that? Everybody say, God's got a reason. All right, good. Before we get to that... Look at your outline again. When you were born again, something happened. The light of Christ came in you. The life of God, the person of the Holy Spirit moved in, right? Go to Proverbs 20 and verse 7. 
I'm prepping this and I'm going to show you the reason why God commands us to love one another. And it'll bless you. When you were born again, you received the, the very life and light of Christ on the inside of you. Proverbs 20 verse 27, that's good too though, says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Everybody say the spirit of man is a candle. Now go to Psalm 1828. Psalm 1828. This is a prophecy of the new birth. Everybody say prophecy. That's a, a fourth telling right here. For thou will light my candle. That's your spirit. That's your spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, you're lit. You're lit. <laughs> well, probably might want to redefine that. <laughs> All right. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. The light of God in him was life. That life was the light of men. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. When you and I receive Christ, we receive the very light of God on the inside of us. And God commands us. Watch this. He says, no man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. But he puts it on a candlestick. What's that talking about? You ever wondered? And are you doing it? Are you doing it? How many know a lit candle gives off light, and when there's light, you can see? When it's dark, have you ever tried to go to the restroom when it's dark, and you don't want to wake anybody up at night? And if you're like me, you're moving pretty fast, and your toe makes contact with something? Glory to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. God. Thank you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I've learned that instead of cussing. <laughs> Anyhow. You know what I'm talking about? You know why that is? Because there's no light. It's dark. It's dark. And when it's dark, you can't see. That's basic, right? So God commands you and I to put our lit candle on a candlestick. What's that talking about? Go to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to give you a couple of these, and then we'll show it to you. And then we'll show you the reason why we're commanded to love one another. This is all going to tie together. You'll see it. Go to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 14. Matthew 5, 14. Ye are the light of the world. In John chapter 9, I believe it's verse 5, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Here he says, you're the light of the world. Jesus lit us when we were born again. He was the firstborn among many brethren. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill. It cannot be hid. Go to the next verse. Neither do men light a candle. Remember, your candle's your spirit. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. He lit your candle when you were born again. Men do not light a candle and put it under a bushel. But what do they do? They put it on a candlestick. Isn't that interesting? And it gives light unto all that are in the what? All that are in the house. Isn't that interesting? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 talks about the church being the house of God. The ecclesia, the called out ones. You know what the church is? Some people say, I'm the church. You're the church. My dog's the church. The cat's the church. <laughs> you know, to say you're the church as an individual is like saying a quarterback saying he's the team. Let a quarterback or a running back say, I'm the team without an offensive line. and see how well that works. It's not going to be a good day. Right? We, we're the church when we come together. The word church actually means to come together to have an effect on the region you're called to. 
God's called us to come from our, our homes the, into the public assembly and to make a difference in the region we're in, entrusted to, in the region we're in. That includes not just the local assembly, as important as that is, but that includes where God's called you. I believe Army operates this way. We are called to affect ministers all over the world. And the more we do, the more they're going, their churches are going to affect their areas. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So, they put it on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Next verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now jump over to Luke 11, verse 33. Luke 11. Watch this. No man, he says it again, no man when he hath lighted a candle... See, how foolish would it be to light a candle for light and then cover it up with something? God says, put it on a bushel so others can see the light. You know, people say this stuff. We sing this song, this little light of mine. I could not disagree more. It's not a little light. Your light's big. Light's powerful. No man, when he has lighted a candle, he puts it in a secret place, neither under a bushel. But what does he do, he or she? He puts it on a candlestick. That they which come in, they which come in may see the light. Next verse. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your, whole eye, when your eye is single, focused, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is evil, your whole body also is full of darkness. This is so amazing. This word evil, are you, re- are you ready? There's two primary Greek words that are used for evil. One of them is kakos, the other one is poneros. Poneros. Where we get the word for porn? I thought I'd throw that out. Okay? But, but kakos is, picture this. When, when, when a kakos person is, you see a drunk in the back alley, and he's dying and he's destroying himself, but he's really not hurting anybody else. That's kakos. Poneros is so evil that it's not only that person is destroying themselves, but they're trying to take down as many with them as they can. That's poneros. And that's the word that's used in Galatians 1.4 when it said God has delivered us from this present evil world or age. This whole system is not only destroying itself, it's trying to pull down as many people with it as it can. So the light of the body, but if, you're, if your eye is single, if it's focused, the whole body is full of light. But when your eye is evil, us, your whole body also is full of darkness. Go to the next verse. Take heed therefore that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Now I asked the Lord, I was mowing grass the other week, the day before it snowed. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? <laughs> Only in the Midwest. And this, I was, this verse came to me and the Lord said, I can tell you exactly what it means when the light that is in you is darkness. I mean, I heard it. I told my wife, I said, this is amazing. It's so simple. I said it earlier. When the knowledge or the revelation you are gaining, the light you are getting is it, is it causing you to be a blessing to people or is it causing you to withdraw from people? If it's causing you to withdraw from people, it's darkness. If it's causing you to be a blessing to others, it's light. And he said, take heed that the light that is in you be not darkness. In Matthew, I believe it's 6.23, he said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Isn't that amazing? How massive is that darkness See, this is how you, we are called to judge ourselves. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves, prove yourselves. 
Know you not that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobate? In other words, check the fruit. If I say I'm an apple tree and all you're getting is pears, maybe I'm not an apple tree. He says, examine yourself. This isn't a condemning thing, guys. This is an encouraging thing. But he says, if the light that is in you, take heed that the light. Be careful that the light that is in you be not darkness. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now go to the next verse. One more. Verse 36. If the whole body, your whole body individually, therefore, be full of light, this big light of mine, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light as when the bright shining of a candle doth give light. In other words, if me as an individual, if I'm full of light, I will affect the body of Christ. And I, you can make a difference. I remember years ago when we were meeting at the Brethren's Home, and it was a Sunday morning, and there was a real spirit of heaviness feeling. You ever had that? All of a sudden, for whatever reason. And I thought, Lord, this is not good. This is not, not a good feeling. And I, I never forget, God said, you change the environment. And you can do that as an individual. You don't have to be down in the mouth. You can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, just in case you missed it, to rejoice is a choice. Hallelujah. But so he's commanded us to put my lit candle in an assembly or in fellowship one with another. Now, look at your outline and look at number two. We talked about the command to connect to the brethren, the reason for the command to connect to the brethren. There's a reason. Go to 1 John 4.18. Most of you know this verse, but most of you probably don't. <laughs> I didn't either, so don't feel bad. 1 John 4.18. Watch this. There is no fear in love. Isn't that awesome? How many Christians are full of fear? Fear comes at all of us, but what do I do with it? God does not want me to walk in fear, but love casts out fear. I just misquoted that. The Bible does not say love cast out fear. You know there's a difference? Some people don't know that. Oh, God is love, Chris, and God is perfect. He is complete. I agree. Calm down, Elroy. Calm down. <laughs> we'll get there. Just calm down. Perfect love cast out fear. Not love, perfect love. Completed love cast out fear. Why? Because fear has torment. The Greek word for torment is kolasis. It's one other place in the entire New Testament. Matthew 25, verse 46, where Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, and the goats go into everlasting punishment. It's referring to hell. Fear will be the atmosphere of hell. And that's the word for torment here. Isn't that something? How many know fear is tormenting? He that fears has, has not been made perfect in love. It's not talking about love on God's part. Look at 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. We'll come back here. It's perfect love that casts out fear. Beloved, let us love one another. Notice it says, let us love one another. People often talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I found the vegetable of the Spirit. It's lettuce. <laughs> Corny jokes, I know. See it? Lettuce. People say, what's the vegetable of the Spirit? You just tell them it's lettuce. All right. Let us love one another, for love is of God. Watch this. And everyone that loveth, two things. Everybody say two things. two things. He's born of God, and he knows God. He knows God through the word, through personal relationship. He knows God. So he's born of God, and he knows God. Next verse. He that loveth not is not born again, and he doesn't know God. It doesn't say that. He that loves not, he doesn't know God. 
It doesn't say he or she's not born again. It says he doesn't know God. Isn't that interesting? For God is love. Now back to 1 John 4, 18. Perfect love casts out fear. Look at your outline. Look at your outline. Perfect is the Greek word, teleos, and it means to bring to an end. It means to culminate. It means finished. It means wanting or lacking nothing necessary to completeness. When you and I allow the love of God that's been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit to manifest towards the brothers and sisters in my life, love completes its circuit and it's perfect and it casts out fear. You don't believe me? Well, let's read on. Next verse. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. Or we love, some translations say. We love him We love because, notice we do something. Some people say, no, God loves me, so it don't matter. We do something. We love him. Because, and what does that love for him look like? Go to the next verse. Watch this. If a man say, I love God and hate it, this is why I don't hate my brother. We'll get to that word in a minute. Watch this. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Wow. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Next verse. One more verse. Watch this. And this commandment, there's that word again. Remember, that which is prescribed to you because of who you are in Christ. He's not telling you to do anything that he hasn't equipped you to do. He's graced you, there's that word, to do this. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. When the Bible, well, jump over to 1 John 2, or 1, and then we'll go to 2. 1 John 2, I want you to see this. This is so good. Is this good? Are you getting this? I hope you are. 1 John 1, look at verse 6. I mentioned verse 7 before, but look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in dark, darkness, well, what is that darkness? Watch. We lie and do not the truth. If I say I'm in intimate koinonia fellowship with God, but I'm walking in darkness, I'm lying. Hmm. Well, what is that? One more verse. We did this one earlier, and then I'm going to go to 1 John 2. But if I walk, everybody say walk. This word walk is fascinating. In both these verses, it's the Greek word peripateo, and it means to walk in a full circle, full circuit. And that full circuit is when God's love that's in me is allowed to live through me and manifest on my brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, my lit candles on a candlestick, and I'm a blessing to other people. Isn't that powerful? Now watch this. But if I walk in the light as he is in the light, we read this earlier, we have intimate fellowship, koinonia one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 2. Watch this. What is this darkness he tells us not to walk in? Oh, that can't be me. I don't hate anybody. Well, we'll, we'll see here in a minute. 1 John 2, verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Next verse. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you. Now, the words was always God's intention. But an old commandment, which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word, the letter, which you have had from the beginning. Now, look at the next verse. Again, a new commandment. Everybody say new. It's not an additional commandment. It's a new commandment. Jesus talked about this in John 13, 34 and 35. Remember? He said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
By this shall all men know you're my disciples. The greatest miracle is when people see us in love one with another, believing in one another, not throwing each other out, not pulling away because somebody hurt my feelings. You know, there's two ways to live. I just did a post on this. You can live your life, number one, feeling sorry for yourself, or number two, pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. There's, that's the only two options. Well, they hurt me. So what? Everybody's been hurt. Give it to God. It's his problem. A lot of what we think is rejection is really God's protection. I've noticed that in my life. But so a new commandment I write unto you, that you, which thing is true. Everybody say true. In him, but it's true in you. If you're born again, this is true in you. Because the darkness of spiritual death is past, and the true light now shineth. Go to the next verse. Lit candle, candlestick, you'll see it. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness. Remember he told you not to walk in darkness. Well, I don't hate my brother. That's because you define hate the way we define it in English. Let me tell you what the Greek says. Are you ready? Hate is not just active aggression. That's certainly hate. The Greek word for hate is mesio. And here's what it means. Are you ready? I'm going to read. It means to love someone or something less than someone or something. It means to regard, renounce one choice in favor of another. It means to regard as less than a better alternative. When I regard my personal comfort less than my brothers and sisters in Christ, God calls that hate. And that's walking in darkness. This same Greek word, Messiah, is used in Luke 14, 26. Come right back here. Jump there quick. I want you to see it. You need to see this. Luke 14, 26. Watch this. If any man come to me and hate not, <laughs> I hate my family. See, you're defining it in like English. He's talking about renouncing one choice in favor of another. Hate his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Paul didn't come along and contradict Jesus when he said, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is not talking about active aggression. This is talking about choosing less than my relationship with God. You know, the reason I love my wife is because I love Jesus more than I love her. And that enables me to love her. But she's perfect, but I'm just saying, other wives that aren't. I don't need a ride home, Greg. I'm good. <laughs> now back to 1 John 2. Watch this. This is so good. See, a lot of people are walking in darkness and don't even know it. If I pull away from the body of Christ, if I pull away from like-minded ministers, I'm walking in darkness. I'm walking in hatred. I'm putting my lit candle under a bushel. Others can't see the light of what God's doing in my life, and I can't see the light of what God's doing in their life. Powerful. Thank you. Ten minutes. Wow. Back to 1 John 2. I think it was about verse 9. 1 John 2, verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and regards his brother as less than a better alternative, like sleeping in or whatever, <laughs> is in darkness even until now. See, God still loves him. He's not condemning him. He's not throwing him out. He, but he, he commands us to love one another because he loves us so much he does not want us walking in darkness because if we're walking in darkness, we're not even going to know what we're tripping over. I'm not even going to understand why aren't my prayers being answered. I'm not going to understand why isn't this, why, why, why I'm going to have all those. Because I'm walking in darkness. 
Look at the next verse. He that loves his brother, that word love is agape, it's value, his brother. Abides in the light. That means to stay, to abide in the light. And there's no occasion, none occasion of stumbling in him. Think it, isn't that powerful? Everybody say, no occasion of stumbling. That's amazing to me. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.17, it says, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They don't even know what they're stumbling over. And Christians can walk that way, and they don't have to. The next verse in Proverbs 4, verse 18 says, The path of the justice is a shining light. It shines more and more into that perfect day. See, this is why Satan loves offense so much. Because if he can get you offended, and you take that offense, you take it on, and you don't release it to the Lord, then you will pull away from people. There are multitudes of people that are laying outside of the body of Christ, that profess Christ. I believe they're born again, but because of some hurt or something that happened, they pull away, they're, they're lit candle, it's under a bushel, they're walking in darkness, and they're miserable. He that loves his brother, he abides in the light. There's none occasion of stumbling in him. Next verse. But he that hates his brother or or renounces him, regards him, regards him as insignificant. He's in darkness and he's walking in darkness. He does not know where he goes or whither he goeth because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Amen. Praise God. Go to your outline again. Let's review. Everybody say, the command to connect. We talk about putting your lit candle on a candlestick, which is in fellowship, in an assembly, around other believers. Number two, the reason for the command to connect. Say, the reason for the command to connect. And here it is at the bottom. The reason for the command to connect is that God does not desire his children to walk in darkness. And it's accompanying fear or torment. See, God, why, you need to do this because you make me look bad when you you lay out a church or lay out a fellowship or or don't join army. I'm sorry. (laughs) That was a dig. It was a good one. But those, they're there for you. you, We need each other. Amen. All right. Number three, and how much time we got? We're just about done. I am landing. Everybody likes that, right? They asked me, Greg, they asked me, did you get that from Pastor Greg? I said, I don't. Thinks so. I somebody said I say it all the time. So put your trade tables up and everything. We're, we're, we're coming in. All right. How many know in light you can see better to help people? You know, in Matthew chapter 7, everybody likes that first verse. Judge not, not judged. Right? They like that. You need to read the context. You know, sinners like two verses. Judge not and drink a little wine. <laughs> Those are their two verses they know. But he's not telling you not to judge. He's telling you how to judge. And he's saying, get that sequoia tree out of your own eye, and you'll see clearly to help your brother or sister get the speck out of their eye. He's not saying don't judge. He's telling you how to judge. Jesus said, I believe in John 7, 24, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now, the command to connect, the reason for the command to connect, and now the results of obedience to the command to connect. This is a massive teaching. I'm going to do this slow. I'm just getting a couple points out of here. Everybody say a couple points. Now make me promise. Just kidding. <laughs> John 13. No. 
Ephesians 5, verse 26, and then John 13. Ephesians 5, 26. Watch this. Ephesians 5, 2 Samuel's way off. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Look at that. Look at this. Ephesians 5, 26. Watch this. Husbands, love your wives, it says in Ephesians 5, 25. As Christ also loved the church. This is Ephesians 5. Go to 26 if you get there. That he might cleanse it and wash it with water by the word. God washes us with the word. We're clean through the word that he has spoken to us, logos, but we need something cleaned in our life that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now that word, word there is rhema. Everybody say rhema. That's different than logos. Rhema is a revelation. A Greek scholar friend of mine, Keith Trump, says it like this. Rhema is a fresh application of the eternally written word. When Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that proceeds or is proceeding out of the mouth of God. What he's saying is that that's how you live, fresh application. Somebody said, well, I read the Bible two years ago. I haven't read it a day. Listen, you need fresh manna, fresh application of the eternally written word. This is why we need to be around other people. This is why we need to be assembled. Now go to John 13. Do you know that when I hear revel? Thank you. When I hear revelation, like what Pastor Greg shared last night, what Daniel's going to share, do you know that does something to me? It does something to me. Watch this. John 13, verse 1. I'm going to do, there's only a couple points I want to pull out of here. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Next verse. And supper being ended. Uh, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Look at the next verse. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. Jesus was secure in who he was. You know, I love our group. And here, one of the reasons I love it, when we meet together, it's not everybody out there trying to out-trump each other with their revelation. You ever been in those types of situations. They're trying to show you how much more they know than you. I hate it. You know, oh yeah? The Bible says, oh yeah? You quote this, quote that. Listen, it's all about edifying one another. Jesus was secure in who he was. So notice what he did. This is so good. Next verse. He rises from supper. He laid aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself. The word towel is lention in Greek. It means a linen towel. You know, the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. When we give people a word, we need to wipe it with the righteousness of God. When I encourage you to pray, I want you to understand you don't pray to be righteous. You pray because you are righteous because of what Jesus has done. That's, that's a whole subject. I'm not. But so he, after that, he pours water into a basin. Remember? The washing of water by the word. And he began to wash the disciples' feet. Feet. And this is amazing. And to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Go to the next verse. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. You've got to love Simon. And Peter saith to him, Lord, you wash my feet? Next verse. Now this is amazing. Jesus answered and said to him, what I know, what I do, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you will know later. Peter could have said, I know what you're doing. You're washing my feet. So there's an implication here that's more than just the physical act of foot washing. 
This is the spiritual application that you and I need to apply on a regular basis by being in fellowship one with another. Now watch this. So he said, oh, this is an amazing verse. Amazing verse. Peter saith unto him, you shall never wash my feet. Now watch this. He thought he was being something. Jesus answered him, if I wash, you're not. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Did you, you realize what he just said? Your feet speak of your walk in this world. How many of you know we pick up a lot of discouraging dirt in this fallen world? And he, Jesus is telling Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you will not partake of your position in the body of Christ. Oh my, my. We need our feet washed by the revelation that we get from others and in our own life. This is talking about coming together. And Jesus is still washing your feet and my feet through the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I made a statement last night. It's been said and accurately said, it's not the people that you believe in that have the greatest impact on your life. It's those people that believe in you. Amen? This is why Satan loves offense. Remember in Matthew 24, and he's talking about the last days, many shall be offended. Many and betray one another. They're going to pull off into isolation because they're offended. So look at this. Jesus said, you shall never wash me. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part, miros in Greek, you have no part, you're not going to partake of what I made available to you. Wow. Next verse. Simon Peter saith unto him, you got to love Simon Peter. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I'm going to do it all. Next verse. Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed... You're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. You're washed in the blood of the Lamb. He that is washed needs not, save not, which means needs to only wash one thing, his feet. Everybody say, I need my feet washed on a regular basis. That's why you need to be in a body. That's why you need to be in fellowship with the saints. That's why you need to put your lit candle on a candlestick. Amen? I've seen people, I'm telling you guys, is your knowledge puffing you up or growing you up? If your knowledge is causing you to withdraw from people, it's puffing you up. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 warns of that. If it's causing you to be a blessing to people, it's growing you up. Hallelujah. This may not be popular, but I'm telling you, this is right on. Jesus saith, he that is washed has only one need, and that's to wash his feet. But you're clean every whit, and you're, you're clean, but not all. Next verse. I'm trying to get through this quick. For, thank you. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, you are not all clean. Next verse. So after he had washed their feet and had taken up his garments and was set down again, look at this. He said unto them, know you what I have done to you? Do you know what I've done? <laughs> I washed our feet. Watch the next verse. <clears throat> you call me master and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. Next verse. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet with the rhema word of God that's in your life. You're special. you got a plan. you got a purpose. There's no insignificance in the body of Christ. Amen? Man, that's good. So, so if, I think, if I've washed your feet, you need to wash one another's feet with the revelation that God has given you, with the things that God's put in your life. Well, what if it didn't work out? Don't quit. Quitting is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Next verse. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done, as I have done to you. Next verse. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that sent greater than he that sent him. Next verse. Look at this next verse. If you do, if you know these things, happy or blessed, they're both accurate. Happy, blessed, say blessed are ye. If, if, my wife told me to preach a message, call it if. If. Turn your Bibles to if. We'll do that in a series with lettuce. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> lettuce and if. What's that talking about? If you know these things, if you understand the significance of what I've done to you, happy or blessed are you if ye do them. The word do is continuously do them. Present tense in Greek. Are you ready for this? The Greek, I don't say this one a lot, but the Greek subjunctive is the mood, which means it's contingent. Your blessing is contingent upon you responding to this command. You know, I long for a day when we could get past maintenance, maintenance Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? I know we have needs. If any man's sick, call for the elders church. That'll never go. I get that. But what about a day when we're out there taking over? What about a day when we're out there, man, I minister, I prayed for this person in, in Walmart, and man, they got healed. What about that day? Why is it always like we're just trying to maintain? We're just living in our bomb shelter, eating spam, and just hanging on to the very end. That's not God. That's not God. If you do these things, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Let me quick review, and then we'll land. You, everybody? You got any more trash? The flight attendants are coming through and throw it out the window. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. The command to connect to the brethren. We are commanded to connect to the brethren. We put our lit candle on a candlestick, which was in an assembly, in a, in a group of like-minded believers. The reason for the command to connect is God does not desire his children to walk in darkness. And believers can walk in darkness. Many of them do. But we can change that. Amen? And then number three... The, the results of responding or being obedient to the command to connect is that we see clearly to help one another to wash their feet with the rhema word of God and to help them fulfill their part in the body of Christ. Isn't that awesome? I know there's a lot there and there's a lot more we could unpack, but I wanted you to get the basic gist of it. There is danger in being isolated. And so this is why when but people offend me all the time. Do they offend you? Don't lie. A liar's come up. We have a line. <laughs> but you know what? You just give it to God. It's his problem. You just say, Lord, I release this to you. I pray for them. Guess what? You offend people too. I don't, but other people do. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You know, I'm, I'm going to land and we're going to take a 10 minute break. But I want to say a couple things. The army table back there. There's a thing there. We offer a scholarship for continuing education for ministers. It's awesome. It's powerful. Uh, but you have to be a member of Army to get that. Uh, ministers organization, I wanted to mention that. I went through it and became a graduate and ordained through Karis Bible College. And that's powerful. And also, I rarely mention my book. And this book is awesome. Yeah, that sounds like pride, Chris. No, it's called humility. Moses was the meekest man among all that were on earth, and he wrote it. That's amazing to me. But uh, it's called the Redemptive Book of Revelation. It's the book of Revelation through the eyes of redemption. Forward by Pastor Greg Moore. So if you have a problem with it, he's right there. <laughs>
No, but I, I, I just looked. Greg was a great encouragement, as was my wife, to write this. When I got saved in December 1984, I started reading it every month, which I do to this day. And all of a sudden I said, oh, my word, it's about Jesus. Maybe it's good news. Maybe the great vine of the earth was Jesus who was cast into the wine press of the wrath of God. So it's back there. Uh, the price on Amazon is $14.99, but whatever. Amen? Are you blessed? I speak, amen. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. I speak blessing over you. You are blessed. I declare I'm a big believer in the blood of Jesus. I declare the blood of Jesus over you. I thank you, Father God, that that bloodline, that perfect blood, it just covers and it saturates us in everything we do in Jesus' mighty name.